Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Thousands were participating yesterday in Israel's Day of Paralysis. Day of Paralysis, Israelis of all ages and from a variety of sectors took to the streets to protest against the judicial reform in a Day of Paralysis, and indeed, that's exactly what they intended to do. But they're not the only ones dealing with the day of paralysis. France is also dealing with paralysis. Their streets are filled with burning garbage and garbage strewn all over the streets of Paris as people refuse to work because the president of France has decided to up the age of retirement to 62. Or was it to 64? In any event, some very nominal age, because the people don't want to work. They just don't want to work. They become entitled there in Europe and in France. But it seems that people all over the world have become entitled, particularly in the Western world, and even in Israel. And so what we're finding is that there is a dramatic change that's taking place, but it didn't start just in the last year or two, it started, perhaps you could say, almost a 100 years ago. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to trace some of that. We're going to trace the uh, long march to despotism in our country, uh, but also in Europe, and yes, indeed, in Israel. We're going to change, we're going to take a look at uh, America and Israel and the era of false messiahs, as reported by Carolyn Glick out of uh, Israel today. Uh, It's a fascinating uh, picture. And then we take a look at an announcement, another January 6th dragnet of up to 1,200 Americans, while the attorney general that has been persecuting Donald Trump there in uh, New York It is discovered that the things that he represented about himself oftentimes were radically untrue. That he himself has been filled with lies. Lies, lies, and more lies. And all of this is coming as the Prime Minister of Israel is having to jump into the battle in Israel to protect Christians. How are we to understand all of this movement that seems to have no connection? Well, attempt today, we're going to attempt to connect the dots in as meaningful a way as possible. I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and the reason we bring these kinds of programs to you is so that not only will you be informed but the information will lead to increasing transformation. Because as we say regularly, the Bible never commands us to be informed. Did you know that? Never commands us to be informed, but rather to be transformed, and that by the renewing of our minds that you and I might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But you see, it's not just the will of God in the abstract. In other words, that we have a litany or a list of things that tell us what the will of God is. 
No, God's purpose is not that we know his will, but that we do his will. And therein lies so much of the missing teaching in America and in our churches today. God is not interested just that we know his will. If you know his will and don't do it, you've deceived yourself. That's what Jesus' brother said. James said, be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Well, we've been living in a world of self-deception in America for a very, very long time. And it's been growing. It hasn't been growing in leaps and bounds. It's been growing a little bit here and a little bit there, just like the frog that gets burned alive, roasted alive, cooked alive there in the pot as the water level, the, the temperature increases little by little. Well, the temperature's increasing not just little by little anymore, but uh, in very significant ways. Uh, perhaps what we ought to do is go back to an article that appeared uh, just the other day concerning uh, what somebody called pre-trib portals. Sherry James called them pre-trib portals. I'm not going to refer to them that way, but we're going to take a look at uh, what has happened over the past, uh, say, oh, 75, 80 years here in America. Just very quickly, a quick oversight And that'll help us to get a better picture. Sometimes you have to repeat things in order to keep them in front of your minds, in front of your eyes. And that's why God says over and over in his word, remember, remember, remember. Well, we know that there's been increasing wickedness just in the past few years. Seems to have just completely slapped us in the face. Nothing seems to be normal, not even clear, not even close to normal anymore, whatever normal is. And in, in, in many respects, it hasn't affected anything in my life in particular, other than my concern about the strangeness, the malevolence that's going on out there, uh, the absolute injustice perpetrated in the name of justice, and so on. But there also seems, as this article says, to be a supernatural aura about life today that wasn't there before. In other words, it seems that we're being drawn demonically into a world, an environment that is increasingly beyond our comprehension to, to, to really grasp. So Satan is trying to set the stage, I believe, upon which his son of perdition, the Antichrist, is going to step when believers are taken off the earth well, he's going to come before that because the Bible, the Apostle Paul says that uh, uh, there's going to be a great falling away before he shows up. There's going to be a great falling away of believers even before the Antichrist shows up. So they're going to see, they're going to experience what's coming. Question, are you seeing that great falling away yet? Have you experienced it anywhere in the realms uh, of your uh, involvement, maybe in your congregation, your church, your uh, neighborhood, the place where you work? Are you seeing people fall away, drift away, repudiate the gospel, uh, just decide to do their own thing? It seems that that's the, the movement. In America, this preparation has been taking place for many decades, and it began 
in earnest shortly before the 20th century began, and it's been accelerating swiftly and is now at full throttle, says this author. And the United States has been in a moral freefall. Now, let's go back to see, in general, where it began. In 1925, there was what was infamously called the Scopes Monkey Trial. William Jennings Bryan won his case, but lost the battle. Because the attorney that opposed him made a mockery of his position. And that mockery became the normative thinking in much of America. 1925, friends, that's a hundred, almost a hundred years ago. So, where do things go from there? We'll see that in just a moment. You're listening to Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. In 1925, the Scopes Monkey Trial uh, took place. William Jennings Bryan uh, opposed in Tennessee there, Tennessee versus Scopes. Uh, He opposed what was being uh, brought upon the people there in Tennessee, that is the doctrine of evolution, the teaching of evolution back in 1925. And he said, no way. This is totally contrary to everything uh, that we as Americans believe. It's contrary to the Bible, contrary to the Word of God. But William Darrow, I think his name was William Darrow, uh, in any event, the opposing counsel, uh, kind of tried to make William Jennings Bryan look like a monkey. And so it's called the monkey trial because it was about evolution that man really came from monkeys. William Jennings Bryan won the legal battle, but he lost, in essence, the battle for the mind and heart and soul of Americans that turned head over heels to embrace evolution. That's where it began, and everything evolved from there. In 1940, the Free Exercise Clause was created in Cantwell versus Connecticut, In 1947, the Establishment Clause was created, Everson versus the Board of Education. In fact, in that particular case, the then Supreme Court Justice decided that, uh, well, um, you know, the government should be able to uh, have dominion over the uh, religious affairs of the people, uh, even though uh, they were prohibited from uh, the government was prohibited from invading the uh, people. So in Everson versus Board of Education, a major change took place in America with regard to uh, uh, religious freedom. It was the famous case that introduced so-called separation of church and state. Now, that was 22 years 
after the Scopes Monkey trial. See how things began to evolve even in the legal profession? In 1962, prayer was removed from the schools in Engel versus Vitale by the Supreme Court. In 1963, Bible reading was removed from the schools in Abington School District versus Shemp, again the Supreme Court. In 1973, 10 years later, the murder of unborn babies was legalized in Roe versus Wade. In 1980, seven years later, the Ten Commandments were removed from the schoolhouse wall in Stone versus Graham. In 1992, invocations and benedictions were banned from school activities. In 2003, sodomy was legalized in the Supreme Court in Lawrence versus Texas. In 2005, display of the Ten Commandments rules unconstitutional. In 2013, Defense of Marriage Act was declared unconstitutional. In 2015, same-sex marriage was approved by the Supreme Court in Oberfell versus Hodges. Now, that gives you a pretty good picture of the overall deterioration of our nation from a legal perspective. But the legal perspective was reflective of the spiritual perspective that had already invaded the country. So by 1993... Time Magazine made an interesting observation. We've talked about this so many times. On the front cover of Time Magazine was a cross, and in the lower right-hand corner were these words, the generation that forgot God. Now, that's talking about the generation immediately preceding 1993. So from 1992 all the way back, say, for uh, 25, uh, 30 years, That would take us all the way back to when prayer was removed from the public schools. And the generation before that would take us all the way back to the Scopes Monkey Trial. So in two generations of about 30 years apiece, America had deteriorated so badly that even Time Magazine, a secular news magazine, had to tell us that the previous generation had forgotten God. Then... When you open the magazine, big spread called the church search. As people were flooding back to church after Gulf War I, they were afraid. And Time Magazine said church would never again be the same. And so the reason was because Americans were looking for a custom-made God, one made in their own image. So now we move from the Scopes Monkey Trial in 1925, setting forth evolution in our public schools and so on, that made and and invaded the entire mind and heart set of the American people. And then we find that that spirit of evolution has completely changed the moral and legal understanding of the country so that by 1993, a secular news magazine says that the nation now was prepared to even create a custom-made God. In other words, to evolve God to be a man. So no longer was man to worship God. God would be recreated so that man would worship man. That, my friends, is where we have come. And, of course, that's devolved into 
the uh, horrific application in terms of what's happening with our children, the homos- the, the sodomizing, uh, sexualization of our children, transgenderizing, changing uh, male into female, female into male, all in defiance of the creationship of God. And then we find that we are in the position of Romans chapter 1, a reprobate mindset throughout a land, a nation, that represented itself to be the hope of freedom to the world. Is that where we are today? No, that's not where we are today. We're in the same position as France, in essence. We have a divided nation, a monumentally divided nation, just like France and just like Israel, as it is with America, so it is with Israel, so it is with the Western world, and we actually have, shall we say, pulled the rug right out from under the entire Western world's final anchor in biblical truth. The United States has done that. We, the people, have done that. And then somehow we think that we're going to go through some sort of a ritual to call God to bless us and restore everything that we've thrown away without repentance. (laughs) It's just amazing to me, utterly amazing. But that's where we are. Now you cannot be safe in carrying on any kind of uh, uh, address or grievances, grievances against your government, A new dragnet of about 1,200 Americans now is set to take place to for people who were just uh, on the fringes of anything that took place on January 6th. It doesn't matter. They're out to destroy everyone. They're out to destroy everyone for the very purpose not to protect and preserve the law, but to protect and preserve power so that you will not even think about approaching your government for redress anymore. That's what it's all about. Now, that having been said, and we see now that Israel, as reported by the Jerusalem Post, has now had their day of paralysis. It seems like we are in our day of paralysis without even announcing it. Israel has announced the day of paralysis. They're in a great battle over legalities again. Uh, And in in effect, the, the battle is over very progressive or liberal views concerning the role of courts to make law and to keep the Congress or the Knesset from being able to vote. They're the ones that have been voting in But the liberal and leftists and progressives want their Supreme Court to actually carry the day and overrule the Knesset whenever they want. That's what the battle is really about. And so it's divided Israel monumentally. Just divided Israel monumentally. And America is divided monumentally, isn't it? 
I mean, when you talk about blue states and red states, what you're actually saying is America is divided monumentally. We are divided beyond everything, anything that you could possibly imagine, say, uh, 50, 75 years ago. When I was a child, no one would have ever conceived that anything could be taking place the way it is today in our country. So what is causing all of this? Well, it's interesting that even in China now, uh, Mr. Xi Jinping uh, basically says, you know what? You Americans don't even have any strength anymore. You're so divided. You're so divided within yourselves. You can't keep uh, order. You can't, uh, you have no order, no strength. Vladimir Putin says you have no morality. You say, well, that's the kettle calling the pot black. Well, at least they see what we look like. We sure don't seem to see it. We can see what they look like, but we can't seem to see what we look like. Would to God to give to give us to see ourselves as others see us. And so we're living in a world of deception, self-deception, individually, as families, as congregations, cities, and as a nation. We, the people, are living in massive deception, and we don't even realize it. We're so deep into the well of deception that we just think it's normal. This is just the way things are. Well, it may be the things the way things are, but it's not the way things are supposed to be. And God isn't happy. Because God desires that we not be deceived. And certainly not self-deceived. So what do we do? How do we respond to all of this? When an attorney general, such as Alvin Bragg, come to find out has been lying about his childhood, has been claiming things about himself that were not true, that instead of being raised in dangerous Harlem in a hood, he grew up in a $2 million brownstone and attended elite private schools, yet he's trying to convince people that he is risen from the down and trodden. No, he's not risen from the down and trodden. He's trying to declare himself an elite to overrule even the President of the United States and to manipulate the law to gain power, perks, and position. So, that brings us to another article that came from Israel National News. America, Israel, and the era of false messiahs. False messiahs. Carolyn Glick is a very well-known, famous uh, journalist there in Israel, and uh, she writes this piece. It's actually a fairly long piece, but it's, it is of such merit and such value that I want to share it with you here today on Viewpoint because she helps us get outside of ourselves to see what has happened in our country what has happened between our countries, between us and Israel, and perhaps why we're in at least the geopolitical mess that we're in today. Because the geopolitical mess is at root a spiritual mess, isn't it? It's at root a spiritual mess. 
So we're going to take a look at that. Before we get on to that, I want to uh, make available to you uh, the book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. I know that we have uh, offered that many times lately, but the reason is because it is so pertinent. And everyone who reads it affirms that. That it's like it's speaking directly to them. And it helps us to understand how deception comes, what it looks like. And when we understand what it looks like and how it comes, then we're prepared to avoid it and not get tangled in with it. Otherwise, we drift along with the rest of the folk until ultimately we ourselves become of a reprobate mind and don't even realize it. You see, that's the danger about deception. You don't realize you're deceived. The book, Seduction of the Saints, it's a uh, $18 book. Yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived, Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Again, it's so good to be able to join with you day after day to talk about the issues that matter most. Uh, we may not, may not be regurgitating all the things that are out there and the way they're being talked about uh, in the secular media, but then this isn't about that. This isn't about information. It's about information that leads to transformation and correction in our lives. So uh, if we were to waste our time just talking about information, it might fill up uh, your ears, it might fill up time, but it accomplishes nothing for the kingdom of God. We're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto us. If you're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then you can well understand that there are things happening in your life that probably would not be happening on the negative side if you were truly seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to righteous people. They do. But in general, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, uh, the other things are going to be provided in due season. Not maybe when you want it, but when you need it. Okay. Now, before we launch into Carolyn Glick's a lengthy look at America, Israel, and the era of false messiahs. Uh, let's just look at why Benjamin Netanyahu, the current prime minister of Israel, had to step in 
and take spiritual leadership in Israel as the prime minister, coming to the defense of Christians in the wake of a proposed law that would send Christian believers to prison merely for sharing the message of Jesus' salvation in the Jewish state. Now, this law that was uh, being proposed, the violators would be in prison for a year, with the punishment doubled to two years if believers are witnessing to someone under the age of 18. Interesting, huh? In other words, they don't want any Jewish person becoming a Christian because they say that will defile what it means to be Jewish. Even though Jesus was Jewish, all his apostles were Jewish, the apostle Paul was Jewish, and all the first Christians were Jewish, doesn't make any difference. They are concerned because attempts of missionary groups, mainly Christians, to solicit conversion of religion have increased in Israel. So they don't want that to happen. So these ultra-Orthodox then are coming in and trying to establish laws very much like what happened to the prophet Daniel in Babylon. Remember when those who connived against Daniel because they were jealous went to the king and to say, oh, king, live forever. You ought to make this law that anybody that doesn't worship you or that bows down to uh, praise to any other god for the next 30 days should be thrown in the lion's den. Well, Daniel uh, had the favor of the king. But uh, he refused to play their game. He continued to pray. He continued to do what he always did. And ultimately, God protected him. So the same kind of attack now is coming within Israel against Christians. Not everybody in Israel, but certainly the Orthodox, Orthodox and even the uh, ultra-Orthodox. That's a piece of information that helps us to understand the current spiritual dimension in Israel, even as 65-plus percent of Israelis now are looking for a Messiah or at least the Messianic age. And that leads us then to the article by Carolyn Glick. On the eve of the U.S.-led invasion of Iraq 20 years ago, this month, the anticipated war was accompanied by a sense of idealistic triumphalism. It was fueled by a still-righteous rage following the September 11, 2001 attacks and empowered by the U.S.'s recent early victories over the Taliban in Afghanistan. The overriding sense of U.S. troops as they gathered in force across the border in the Kuwait desert was that they were the great liberators who would free the Iraqi people from Saddam Hussein, just as their grandfathers liberated Paris from the Nazis. As the embedded reporter with the U.S. Army's 3rd Infantry Division at that time, Carolyn Glick says, I can attest that the enthusiasm was infectious and, frankly, very inspiring. But there was a bug in the system, she said that over time devoured the system itself. The bug was, was reality. Americans had told themselves a story about Iraq and Iraqis that had nothing to do with Iraq or Iraqis. Then President George W. Bush and his top advisors were guided by an ideology of American messianism, 
That is, America being the Messiah, or a kind of Messiah. By their lights, all men were latent Americans. Everyone aspired to the same freedoms that Americans enjoyed, released the people of Iraq from the bondage of Saddam's tyranny, so the thinking went, and freedom would reign from Nasiriya to Baghdad to Tikrut to Kirkuk and the Shiites and Sunnis and Kurds and Christians and Yazdis and Iraqis all would join together and build a new American-style free Iraq. Well, let me remind you, I'm going to escape now from Carolyn Glick's piece here, and let me remind you what George W. Bush said after 9-11. The first thing he said was, on national television, that Americans, Jews, and Christians all worship the same God. But he didn't leave it there. Within two weeks, he then said, all religions worship the same God. Now, when he said that, regardless of whatever else you think about George W. Bush, who, by the way, was a globalist, as was his daddy and his granddaddy, and they were all members of the Yale Bonesman secret group. But regardless of that, when George W. Bush made that statement, what he was essentially doing was elevating America to the role of Savior and Messiah. Because if you if the world would just do what America was going to do, what he wanted to do through America, the world would be saved. That's essentially what Carolyn Carolyn Glick is trying to say. This idea of messiahship creeps in on little cat feet, friends, like the fog, until pretty soon it envelops your whole mindset. And George W. Bush had the idea that somehow he, through the advancement of American... uh, thinking could transform the world, save the world for democracy, so to speak, and the world will live in a kind of pseudo-heaven from then on. That still is the thinking of his vice president's daughter, who took Donald Trump to task through the January 6th committee to destroy him. Why? Because Donald Trump was not carrying that messianic viewpoint. He did not believe in the globalist salvation message. He said, no, we're here just to do what we're supposed to do with our country. And they said, no way. We're going to save the world. We're going to save the world through globalism. That's the messianic movement. And it began there in many respects, with George W. Bush's father, George Herbert Walker Bush, in 1990, before the American Congress, right at the point of Gulf War I. Now, we get back to Carolyn Glick. After the initial exhilaration of being welcomed with smiles by Shiites at the sides of the highways, the brutal reality of the real Iraq and the non-universality of American ideals became ever clearer with each passing day. And in the end, that reality consumed the American war effort. Americans responded in different ways to the cold shower they received in Iraq. 
Some doubled down, clinging to their messianic faith and the curative powers of elections and pushing for repeats of the Iraqi ordeal in Egypt, the Palestinian Authority, and beyond. Others washed their hands of the world, embraced isolationism, and said, as Carolyn Gick said, to hell with everyone. Still others recoiled, not from the world outside and its pathologies, but from America, which they blamed for the world's pathologies. And it was those Americans who rose to power in 2009. Barack Obama. She goes on to say, Barack Obama was also a messianist. But his messianism was different from that of his neoconservative predecessors. The anti-colonialist worldview Obama shared with his advisors and supporters posited that the real Messiah, such as it was, wasn't America, but the noble savages of the non-Western world. And left to their own devices, far from America and the Western imperialist predators, these non-Westerners were the purest and most authentic form of humanity. Their violence, anti-Americanism, and even their own cultural and military imperialism and war crimes were rooted in and justified by America's excesses, supposedly. The President Obama, who for 20 years sat in the pews of the preacher who responded to September 11th by declaring triumphantly the America's chickens have come home to roost, could make excuses for everything and everyone opposed to America. So aside from America itself, the first victim of both the neoconservative messianism and the anti-colonialist messianism was Israel. The Jewish state was the victim of neoconservative messianists because their universal view of America meant that, from their perspective, there was nothing unique or intrinsically valuable about the Jewish state. Neoconservative popularized the notion that the basis for U.S. support for Israel was not their shared Judeo-Christian heritage and values, but the fact that the government of Israel, like the U.S. government, governed with the consent of the governed. Once Iraq was freed of Saddam and his Ba'athist goons, the neocons insisted that Iraqis would be allies just as good and reasonable as the Israelis. Nothing could have been further from the truth. False messiahs, false beliefs. This is how deception is carrying the day concerning messianic expectations in our world. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back. 
Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Of all the tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some time be satiated, but those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own consciences. The words of C.S. Lewis. Well spoken, C.S. It seems that not only from the leftist point of view, but from the neocon point of view, there is a kind of messianic view that somehow we can save ourselves. Because we've abandoned, basically, the God who made and preserved us a nation. The Western world has virtually abandoned the God, the so-called Christian Europe, no longer Christian, and you wonder whether it's even Europe. They're at war within themselves, at war within their countries. Israel is at war within herself, so much so that today a warning came through from one of the premier leaders in Israel that they were on the verge of civil war. We've also been told the same thing here in America. If we were the saviors of the world, then how is it that we're on the verge of civil war? What's the war about? If Jesus said that a a city divided against itself cannot stand, then how can a nation divided against itself stand? And yet that's exactly where it is. And amid that kind of division, friends, is going to emerge a promised Savior. Not the promised Savior that came at a, in a virgin birth, but the promised counterfeit Savior who will draw the world together with false promises and grandiose signs causing the world to wonder amid its distress and division, giving a false messianic hope to the world. And his title is Antichrist. And he's coming. The world is being set for his coming. All of the chaos, all of these things that are taking place, are setting the stage for his appearance. Even as professing Christians are falling away like dominoes, just as the Apostle Paul said would happen before the Antichrist's appearance, called the son of perdition. So, in order to understand a little bit more about him, not his name, but more about him from a biblical viewpoint, you might want to get a copy of my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. $22 will put this book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. You can write us to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 2. 3255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. 
And then as we move forward toward the end, we're going to talk about my book, Messiah. Why is that? Because we're talking about false messiahs, friends. Carolyn Glick, not even believing in Yeshua as Messiah, understands at least to some extent the false messiahs that are tyrannizing already. The false, shall we say, messianic outlooks or belief systems that are tyrannizing the world and setting the stage for the people crying out for a deliverer. They're not crying out for Yeshua, Jesus Christ. They rejected him hand over fist, including Israel, even increasingly Israel. On the other hand, there are a few, both Jew and Gentile, whose eyes are being opened, their hearts are being opened, even Muslims' hearts are being opened to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, the true Messiah. That's the good part. But the major part is quite the contrary. Now, we go back to Carolyn Glick. In her long piece concerning this messianic movement uh, that has so many different fragments to it. So, Americans, like Americans themselves, Israelis, Palestinians, Arabs, Iraqis, Egyptians, and Saudis were all latent Jeffersonians, at least for the viewpoint of George W. Bush, Condoleezza Rice, and their team that accepted at face value the so-called pan-Arab claim that Israel was to blame for the Arab-Israeli conflict. So, Americans insisted that all things being equal, the Islamic and Palestinian Arab terror war against Israel was distinct from the Islamist terror war against the United States and the rest of the world. What a foolish thing to conclude. So, the Bush administration's messianic blinders made it incapable of understanding the significance of Israel's experience in Lebanon to its experience in Iraq. Had the Americans recognized that Israel is intrinsically their ally because of its shared particularistic values and heritage and seen as such by its neighbors, Washington would have recognized that the society most similar to Iraq's was Lebanon, and Israel's experience in its 18-year war in Lebanon had the most to teach them as they prepared to topple Saddam Hussein. Had the administration, that is, American administration, understood the true nature of multi-ethnic traditional violent society they were entering, they would certainly have developed a different plan for victory than democratizing a land where the values of liberalism are as alien as UFOs. And that brings us to Obama and Israel, she says. Whereas the neoconservatives didn't recognize the intrinsic similarity of Jewish, Israeli, and American values or understand those values served as the unique rather than universalist basis for the U.S.-Israeli alliance, Obama and his followers did see Israel as a microcosm of America. And just as they recoiled from Americanism for what they viewed as its imperialistic chauvinism, so they hated Israel. Like America, they believed Israel was inherently racist because it was particularist. 
just as Native Americans, South Africans, Iranians, and other victims of American colonialism had the right to hate it, so the Palestinian Arabs were victims of Israeli colonials and justified in their resistance. So the neoconservatives' messianic blindness to reality led to Iraq falling to Iran and Iran rising unopposed by an America sapped of self-confidence by its devastating experience in Iraq. Obama's anti-Western colonialist messianism, which has now been restored under President Joe Biden as the ideological basis of American foreign policy, brought about the restoration of Russian power in the Middle East and the rise of a near-nuclear Iran. Donald Trump sought to right the ship of America's statesmanship in the region and worldwide to one that abjured messianism in favor of national interests. His Middle East policies facilitated the Abraham Accords and the near collapse of the Iranian economy by the time he left office, but both achievements made clear that he was on to something. But Trump was stymied and subverted at every turn by his messianic neoconservative and anti-colonialist predecessors and hemmed in by his isolationist supporters. The headway he made was insufficient to withstand the restoration of Obama's anti-Western messianism under Biden two years ago. America's position in the region and the world topples and falls toward destruction. Obama hated Israel because to him, the Jewish state is a microcosm of the America he believed was responsible for the wars of the region. For failing to hate America power as he did, Obama determined that the Sunni regimes weren't authentic and he worked to destabilize them by supporting the Iranian mullahs and their allies in the Muslim Brotherhood. The Biden administration's open support for the revolt of Israel's post-Zionist elites seemed to support this same assessment. Those elites have long recorded the scuttling of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's efforts to develop strategic independence and the means to physically destroy Iran's nuclear program. Instead, they favor support for U.S.-led nuclear diplomacy and appeasement of the Ayatollahs. Israel's takeaway from a generation of failed U.S. messianism must be the time has come to end Israel's strategic dependence on Uncle Sam. A restored alliance can only be based on mutual respect and sovereign independence. The mutinous elites must be brought to heel. A restored America will be one that presents an updated version of the icons of the past. Theirs is a story of a free people who persevered and prospered because they were willing to pay the price for freedom. That was the American dream that they had, the one they shared with the world. If it's restored, America may still return to greatness, but if it remains elusive, the American dream where its people and the world will disappear. Now, it may be that in reading such a long piece, and by the way, I removed probably a third in order to try to capture uh, a, a more distilled version of what she was saying. However, 
The gist is this. She says, and I believe she's right, that we have developed these theories as if somehow we were the messiahs to the world geopolitically. We did not advance to the world Christ as Messiah. That's what we did 200 years, 150 years earlier. Now we're advancing a political messiahship. Whether it was from neocons like George W. Bush, or whether it was from Barack Obama and uh, uh, Joe Biden. Both fail. Because they're false messiahs. They're false views of salvation. We've missed the mark, friends. And there are many other ways in which messianic views have distorted, completely distorted, our world, our thinking, our country, the Western world, and led us now to the precipice of where we now stand, wondering if there's going to be nuclear war. Now, to help us to understand the gravity of false messiahs and the outlooks that have made their way through virtually every single movement in our world, religious movement, political movement, you need to get a copy of the book Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. For the true Messiah to emerge victorious and triumphant for our own lives, we must not be deceived by these false messianic movements. They are destined to be destroyed. Get a copy of the book. It's a $22 book. Yours for $22 on our website, saveus.org. So we've talked about Messiah, Antichrist, and Seduction of the Saints. If you don't have all three of those books and you'd like to get all three, just add $9 for postage and handling for all three of them and at the prices we've offered, and we'll get them to you. They will be a blessing to you. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner, friends. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Today is the day of salvation. Do it today. God bless. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.